Hello, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working professional photographers. I'm Tyler Stallman. Hi, Tyler. I'm Cameron Whitman. Oh, hi, Cameron Whitman. <laughs> welcome back. How yeah. are you? Good. We haven't spoke in quite a while. Yeah, it's been a while. But um, yeah, back to our uh, regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> uh, you had a topic you wanted to talk about this week. Yeah, um, I was thinking about choosing the right tools for the job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what what led you to that idea? What, what was on your mind? Well, I think that like most of us, when I started out taking jobs, all I had was I had a D300 and 17 to 55 lens and a 105 lens. And that was all I had. And um, so, you know, you make you make everything work with what you have. But it's not always ideal. And then as you get to doing more jobs and seeing better work, you know, as you start to grow and, and compete in the real world, then you start to recognize that you may not have the right tools for the job. Mm-hmm. So one of my first experiences where I recognized that it was a problem is that, you know, I had that D300 and one of my clients, I was doing studio work for them and it was a theater. And then they asked me if I could do, you know, a live show. And, you know, I was kind of nervous about it. I didn't have a telephoto lens that I thought was very good. And, you know, I I reckon it'd be pretty dark. And I knew that the D300 just didn't have much muscle in the dark. And uh, I was right. And it was, it wasn't impressive. Right. Was it, was it terrible or just mediocre? Um, I want to go with terrible. <laughs> I mean, just judging on like what I think I do now, I would say it was pretty terrible. Okay. Okay. So, but by your current standards, it's, it was not good. Yeah. Not, like usable. not usable. Did you use them at the time? Uh, th- I think that they did use them, but I think it was because they didn't have much choice. Like they right. had to use them, but needless to say, they, they loved what I was doing in the studio, but they didn't ask me back to do that job no. for quite a long time. Right. Until you upgraded your gear. <laughs> well, it was actually quite a long time after that. <laughs> um, I've been doing work with them more recently, but I had to, I think it was only after they noticed that I was doing a lot of those same jobs for a lot of the other theaters in town. Right. And they're like, Oh, I guess you do that now. <laughs> after you proved yourself. Well, I've been working with them for seven years now. So, I mean, that's quite a while. Mm hmm. But yeah, so that was the first time that I realized that, you know, I didn't have the camera that was able to do anything. Something you hear a lot from experienced photographers, from people giving out, in a, in a position to give out advice that create amazing work and have lots of gear, have really amazing gear. So often they will talk about, it's not about the gear that you have, use the camera that's with you. Um, it's it's all about what you create from what you have and, and don't worry about the gear. Don't focus on the gear. Mm-hmm. But the only people that say that have the gear already. Yeah. And it's fine if the gear, if you just have, you know, the, the one camera body and the two lenses that you need, that's fine. But most people that are starting out don't. They have a kit lens that is only as fast as F4.0. If you're lucky. Yeah, the the camera body may perform really poorly in low light. Um, they probably have like a like a fifty millimeter one point eight, which is 
acceptable for a lot of occasions, but it's also, I don't think many people realize what crap, crap, crap factors, crop factors are all about. And, <laughs> right, um, yeah. and, and we'll end up, you know, with an 80 millimeter that they weren't expecting. So it's yeah, a lot wow. of the time they find it's much closer than they need for like the versatility they hoped for. So a lot of people starting out, they will struggle because of the gear, because there are real limitations by only having one or two tools that may not be exactly what you need to, mm-hmm. to do the range of work that you're hoping to do. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think I'm the only one that would argue with that advice that, you know, d- yeah. Okay. If you have whatever you have, you can create something great out of it. You know, yes. there's many fantastic photos taken on kit lenses and on cheap fifties and it's not going to prevent you from taking good photo or on an iPhone, of course, right? Like you can take great photography with, many tools that's but it's absolutely very, right it's but very different not, to do it that's professionally. not what we're talking about though exactly right? yeah. yeah yeah if you want to charge somebody money for it though mm-hmm. you better have the tools that's right so i've been i've been i've said that in a million times on this show that you know the best camera is the one that you have in your hand mm-hmm. um i believe that for most occasions if you're just walking around but like if I am working with the client and there's an expected job then i'm going to select the perfect tool for that job yeah. Well, or I think I, I, saw a, perfect one. Yeah. I saw a tweet the other day. I think it was since the best camera you have is the one that's with you, make sure you're always carrying a good camera with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a photo of him with like a Leica or something. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing it's, um, but that's, that's also false because there's a lot of jobs where a Leica is not going to cut. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. I don't remember the exact camera, but the, the right. point being that like, it does take, a good camera to do a lot of things. I, I heard an anecdote once of a friend who's uh, the wedding photographer showed up with only their on-camera flash from like a rebel. And that is not the tool for the job. Like yeah, once it gets no. dark, you can't use an on-camera flash. It is not enough for anything. No. And, and th- so the thing is he's the, prof- he's a professional wedding photographer. That's the line, right? If you're at a friend's wedding, you can take photos however you want. You can use natural light all night and a 50 millimeter 1.8 and crank your ISO and then convert them to black and white later. That's all fine. But if you're getting paid, you need to go rent a flash no matter what. Like there's, you're getting, you're getting some money. If you're only getting enough to rent the flash, put it all into the flash or into the, the thing you're missing. That's like right. You need to show up with those basics. Right. And so if you don't know what you need, that's another part of the, of the mystery is figuring out what it is that the standard is within that industry and realizing where you have to hit the mark and where you can experiment. Cause of course any, even within wedding and any other kind of professional setting, there's still usually some opportunity for you to flex a little creative muscle Yeah, and, yeah, you know, totally. be creative. But like um, at the end of the day, there's expectations and you might want to research what those are before you get involved. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we could expand that conversation to pricing and a lot of other business subjects as well. But yeah, for the, for the sake of keeping it simple, you know, well, just, I, you have to, you have to realize which job, which tools get the job done. I had an interesting conversation about this at uh, the last Toronto fashion week, just talking to the other street style photographers there. Mm-hmm. We we're all kind of comparing what we were shooting with. And it was the first time I was testing out the Sony and uh, the 28 millimeter on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, there's two parts of the story. One is we were looking at what we each had, right? So most of the actual photos I took were on the 70 to 200. Many of them had 80 millimeter lenses, uh, fifties, 
Um, a couple of the people had big zooms, but it's a pretty big range, which is interesting because we're all after the exact same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We all have the same intention of what these photos are going to look like, but everybody had chosen a different lens and body combination. So, um, that was just kind of interesting that even though the results end up generally being the same, everybody approaches it you know, well, very differently. I mean, even things like to get the depth of field, because everybody's looking for shallow depth field. To me, I want, I use a telephoto for that because mm-hmm. F, F4.0 at 150 millimeters has a blurry enough background for me. And mm-hmm. um, other people use, you know, shoot at 2.8 for that. So, yeah, I just found it really interesting that we all knew enough to make educated decisions, but we'd all decided on something else. Well, I think that, that, brings up another important point to make is that I was mentioning about standards and stuff like that. And like, you know, there's no one way to do anything. Mm-hmm. There's always yeah. going to be multiple approaches. Sure. I think that the, what I mean by that is that you need to, you need to be able to represent or deliver what you're representing. Mm-hmm. And for me, that means having the right tool for the right job. Right. The second part of, of that conversation for me was that I, since I was using that Sony, uh, and, and a wide lens, um, you know, like I said, 28 millimeter. And I was shooting street style like that, which is pretty unconventional. Um, everybody started telling me about Phil O, who I didn't know about at the time, but am now very familiar with. And he's the street style photographer for Vogue and is really on the rise as kind of the new, the new best. And I mean, since I've started looking at his stuff, it's really wonderful. Uh, just Google Phil uh, OH is how you spell his name. Um, it's all like really wide angle, like contextual portraits that are great. I, I mean, it, it just suddenly shifts what you thought a style photo could be. And I thought I was kind of coming up with this idea of, of shooting wider, but, uh, obviously I wasn't, I think this is maybe, um, a trend that I just kind of started picking up on a little late, but, uh, but I was really into it and, um, I don't know. I, I just, I just found it really interesting that this assumption that many of us had about how you shoot this type of journalistic fashion um, can be done totally differently from what most people have been doing for a number of years. So, yeah, no doubt. And you know, I think that that's that's how you change the game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, personally, I mean, the, the I'm rule. Look- yeah, and I'm looking at his work now, and you know, I. I, I like this approach because it adds more context mm-hmm. to to the whole idea of style, which, you know, so, so much style in fashion to me, um, and this is, you know, from kind of an outside perspective, because it's not what I do. Um, so much of it to me is just like after, you know, like a lot of times I'm judging the, the model, right? you know, rather than the fashion and the fashion is the point. And I feel like in, with a wider perspective, it feels like it's it's less about the model, but you can uh, you can appreciate what what they're doing or wearing in that environment. Yeah, it turns into a blend of street style or sorry, street photography and street style photography. You know, it's, right. it's also it's, it, like it in documentary, story. right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just a new approach, and yeah, that is that is the reason that usually style photos are you know isolating the person is because it's really meant to be about the clothing. So this is just seeing the emergence of a different way of telling the story that is yeah, less specifically focused and I think definitely appealing to a broader audience because the photography, you notice the photography as well. It's not so strictly journalistic. It is more, well, 
it is still very journalistic. <laughs> right. I don't know if I'm describing it right, but it's not, um, it's not so literal of only talking about the fashion. It is, it is telling you a bigger story. So or isolating it, it, right? Yeah. Cause yeah. that's usually what you're doing with a, yeah. a telephoto or just a, a fast 50. Totally. Yeah, well, so what, what are some other examples? Uh, like what, what is an actual combination of gear that, uh, is took you a while to realize was the, the right tools. All right. Well, let me try and put this into some kind of a, a real life context. So, People might be able to understand how I came to such a conclusion or whatever. You know, as as we've talked about many times, you know, like I have a lot of toy cameras or fun cameras, if you will. Um, and sometimes when I have photographer friends at the house, they see what I have and they're kind of baffled. Well, why do you have that and that and that? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you use this for? Do you ever use that? It's just, you know, I have to look at it and think about it. And gosh, I'm not sure I really need that one anymore. <laughs> yeah. But then when I, when I, you know, really consider it, I'm like, well, when do I need that? And for instance, like my, uh, you know, my zoom lenses, you know, I have the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200. And there are times of the year that they are just not collecting dust because they keep them in the bag, <laughs> but <laughs> they're in the bag and they're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're not being used. Um, and so then sometimes after like a month or two of that, it's usually in the, in the middle of the summer. Um, that I'm not using it as much. Then I start to, you know, wonder, do I need this? Can I sell this and get something cool? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember, oh, wait, you know, as soon as event season is back in in, in order, that's going to be all I use for this. Yeah, so that's that's part of what, what led me to that. And so then, you know, okay, so f- for events, that's something I do professionally. I do it regularly. Um, I would say that it was a pretty reasonable part of my total income flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that, I use, um, I, you have to use a, a full sensor DSLR in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of it is low light and you need to have as much latitude as you can possibly get. Cause you never know from one room to the next, you never know how it's going to change. Right. Yeah. When you, when you can't control the lighting, you mm-hmm. need as much dynamic range as you can, because yeah, you can just like turn a corner and all of a sudden, uh, the the light falls apart and you need uh, to stretch it. Yeah. And, and to further that, like um, I don't think that you necessarily need to have the flagship of the uh, speed lights mm-hmm. for whatever system you're using, but um, I, I recommend it yeah. <laughs> having the best possible light for those situations where you never know what you're going to be walking into just saves you a lot of stress and saves your butt a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I generally speaking for, for that type of work, I use, uh, either I always use my Nikon DF for that, but I, sometimes I'll bring the D 800 as a backup, even though like, I don't want to use it unless I absolutely have to, cause it's too big the file sizes. And then I use the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200. Now, now I also, what else do I do all the time is food. So with food, it's totally different. You know, like I use, I can use the DF, but most of the time I might want to use the D 800 because it's a still subject and I can take my time and give myself some more options in terms of cropping and, and whatnot. Uh, so I use the D 800, but for food, I, I use three lenses. I, I use my one Oh five macro predominantly. Um, and then I sometimes use my Sigma 50, uh, one four. And then I also use the Sigma 35 one four depending, but I, they, they all have very specific uses. And it's, for me, it defines my style. So if you were to buy your whole kit from scratch right now, mm-hmm. 
what's the, what's the minimum amount of money you think you could spend and like, you know, everything's gone in a fire and you don't have insurance. Mm. And so you're trying to spend as little as possible and get back to the point where you can just fully work at your current capacity. I mean, I have to say about 10 K. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, just, just to be able to do the things that I need to do that, that, that I, that are expected. Yeah. That's about what I need. Yeah. I think I, it, if I split, if I just talk about photo and not video, mm-hmm. that's pr- probably about right. I think it's a little high. Like, I could get by for less. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could get used gear and find a. Oh right, yeah, that too. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, to- I'm thinking things like, so a new 5D, mm-hmm. a 70 to 200, a 40 millimeter, which is super cheap, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of memory cards, a bunch of batteries, a good flash. Some alien bees. Yeah. I mean, it, it would, it would add up pretty quick. Some stands, backdrops, like kind of the basics. Yeah. It would probably come to 10 pretty fast. Yeah, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're, if you're doing weddings or something, then you need two bodies. So, mm-hmm. you know, in that case, you're, you're looking at 12. <laughs> Did we talk since I got my, uh, since my cannon broke? No. Yeah. That was, wow. That was so long ago. Um, oh God. Did I tell you about it? I must have told you on the, on Slack, right? I don't think we had a conversation about your camera breaking at all. Okay, I think I was trying to save it for the show. <laughs> it never came up. Um, so, well, uh, we were shooting a project that required a lot of photos. So we were, you know, snap, 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 snap. And the, uh, the 5D Mark III, which I've had since, I believe, basically the, the day I came out, I think... Jordan sold me the first one in Calgary, as far as I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend he did just because it makes me feel good. <laughs> and um, and suddenly the shutter died. Uh, got a kind of generic error on the screen. Turned it on, turned it off, popped the battery, did all the normal stuff, and it was still broken. Googled it, and everybody said, "Oh, that is a mechanical failure. You will have to get it repaired." Um. And this really freaked me out. I, I mean, so thank God on this shoot, we had both bodies, which I don't always, I don't always have a backup body because we were also traveling. So we we're out of the city and uh, it would have been a huge problem. So yeah, we were able to just kind of continue with the other body, but uh, the lens ha- or the shutter had reached its maximum, maximum actuations, which yeah, from my reading, I couldn't, couldn't really get clear on how many hundred thousand the 5d mark three was rated for i heard different numbers all over the place so i'm not going to quote them but it's between like one and three hundred thousand um and i'm yeah so i think the 5d mark two was at one and that there was a big jump in the 5d mark three that was the what seemed like the most reliable information i saw Hmm. um but i know what this was this was more than a month ago and i am forgetting the numbers certainly so uh, just insert X, Y, Z into them. But what I do remember is that uh, I was about double it. I mean, I had shot much more than what was recommended and that made me feel pretty good. It had, it had lasted much longer than what the factory predicted. Okay. So, so that was nice. Well, I wonder if you're using it all the time, if it stays better lubricated or something. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Like uh, keeping, you got to use a car every once in a while or yeah, boot exactly. up a hard drive. Yeah, could <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that my experience with Canon was awesome. They So I've got CPS, which is the Canon professional service. Is mm-hmm. that what this is? Yeah. And uh, it's 100 bucks a year-ish. 
and was so worth it. They ended up, I was expecting to spend up to a thousand dollars. You know, it's, it's a big part of the camera that, that is broken in there. And I'm like, I have no idea how much I'm going to pay, but it's going to hurt. And it came into about 250 bucks. Oh, wow. Which is the minimum that they'll charge. So like whatever they repair, they're like, you know, there's a basic service fee of, of two, which is two thirty Canadian and uh, anything else on top of that, you know, we'll charge extra, but they, for that replaced the whole mirror box, the shutter, and then the whole external top mechanism, uh, body piece of the camera. So it's a new LCD screen in the right, a uh, new shutter button, new metal, everything. I mean, just like half the camera now looks like it's, well, it is brand new. So I got like 30% of my camera completely replaced for, $230. And I felt great about it. And it got sent back in less than a week. So, uh, I thank you. I think Ken. that you have a lot to feel pretty damn great about. That was so, I mean, I was extremely happy about it. And I mean, I think that that alone is, is a, is a reason to, to have brand loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's why I should talk about it right now. I think when a brand does something great like that, you know, you should, uh, shout about it and, uh, tell your friends, Hey, this, uh, this service was, better than you might expect. Um, I was, yeah, I was so happy with it. So, uh, but the, the one good thing that came out of it is that it means I have a green light from Anya to replace it when a Mark four comes out because, uh, she's afraid of it breaking again, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) even though it's been refurbished. Yeah. And I, I have a bit of that feeling too. I mean, it's now it's not so much like, okay, the shutter is probably not going to break again right away. Um, actually, I mean, honestly, probably nothing's going to break, but it's just, too unnerving <laughs> to be honest with you like i feel like i almost always buy refurbished stuff now oh okay yeah and you know be- previous to my first occasion doing that i was mm-hmm. always worried that i'd be getting a, a defective product but then you know like i was talking to a friend and uh sadly i can't remember who that was but um i was talking to a friend and, and they were telling me how no you should always buy refurbished and I was like, well why is that well, because it's cheaper, and you know that like a professional technician for whoever the, the company was has worked on it. Yeah. So a lot of times, when it's straight from the factory, you know, it might have been soldered poorly, or you know, anything, any number of things might have not been slipped past inspections. Exactly. Yeah, and when I you can see when that. you get something re- refurbished, there's there's this you know a highly skilled technician rebuilding it. I, I know what you mean. And I don't really, I don't distrust it that much. It's just that it's such a key thing. I can't, I can't have any doubt. Um, Of course. And and I also, I, from what I've read about watch repair anyway, um, there's a pretty decent chance that whatever you need to get repaired on your watch is the damage done by the last repair man there. And somebody in the know, also told me that generally, um, you know, Canon repairs are pretty great, but still it's about like an 80% success rate. There is a much higher chance of a, of a problem after a repair than, uh, from a brand new camera from this one opinion. So I don't even know if it's true, but I, I don't want to be scared. (laughs) So 
Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's something to be worried about. Worried about my uh, so far so good on my Mamiya Seven though. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, like th- honestly, I've I have bought refurbished. Uh, I bought one refurbished laptop in the past, and it worked out fine. So. Yeah. Exactly. I bought a MacBook Air. Uh, five years ago, and it's still rocking. Yeah, yeah. I th- this isn't something to warn people against. This is just this is my voodoo about uh, making purchase decisions. Plus, I want a Mark IV when they come out anyway, so <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> right. Um. So, so yeah, you might, was- yeah. Just in case you're wondering, like, what brought this up? So, um, you know, I've been as as I, I was alluding to before we had our our long moment of silence. You know, I've been really curious about those. Olympus Micro Four Thirds cameras. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that that I know that use mirrorless use either the Sony's or they use Fuji's. Sure. Um, and so, you know, when when somebody else, it's more or less outside of that sphere, was like, no, you got to check this out. And this yeah, is the OM five, right? To bring everybody up to speed, is that what you're looking at? Um, well, it's not just the OM five; it's the OM one and the OM five. Okay. Right, so either one, but right now the 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 most current one is the OM5 Mark II. Um, or is it OM5 I'm, or is it OMDEM5 Mark II? I'm doing II? some googling here because uh, yeah, I'm just realizing. So I think my first camera ever, and I probably said this on the show before, so you can find out if I'm wrong. But it was the OM1, mm, um, okay. and then I think the, so. The the camera this was all based on, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah, so the OM1 is the one that I had, and that's the film one. No. OMD is the digital. Yeah, OMD and then EM5. And there's the EM1 and the EM5 and the EM10. Got it. Okay. Um, so anyway, what I'd been reading about the features on those cameras is is pretty exciting stuff. And I think that if I was looking for, you know, like a really kick-ass travel camera that was going to not be a burden, mm-hmm. I would totally get that. I would get it for, you know... Anything to, that I was going to be doing that I'd be shooting on film, I would like to have that as a digital companion. I think it'd be amazing. Um, anything that I was shooting on a tripod, you know, because it, it does that, um, you can do the high-res image thing on that. It's got that feature where you can, you know, it's it's a 16-megapixel sensor, but there's a, you know, there, you can shoot a 40-megapixel image if you're on a tripod just because it does this, like, pixel shift thing. Right, right. And, um, you know, and I questioned that as well. And I was like, that can't be good. <laughs> like, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way it works as advertised. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the, the guy that was telling me about it, you know, his other camera, like he had three of those of the EM5 Mark IIs. Um, then he also had a, a Pentax 645Z. And he goes, well, here, compare these two because I did the same thing. And he showed me the, uh, the, the, the raw images from the uh, EM5 the, with the 40 megapixel versus the 50 megapixel of the 645. And it was amazing. Mm. It looked great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was like, well, that's that's pretty convincing um, and confusing because <laughs> it's not really something I wanted to know about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like if I was in the market for, you know, a digital that I'd feel better about keeping with me, most of the time, you know, cause most of the time when I leave the house now and I'm not shooting a job, I'm shooting film. Um, so if, you know, if I want to have a digital camera, that means, you know, like my weight is compounding a lot. And, you know, so the only, the only thing that really would make sense for me is one of those systems. 
Well, I just pulled up the uh, DP review comparison and uh, I put it up against a 5D Mark III. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing a raw comparison with the you know resize on, and it looks weirdly good. <laughs> um, like just not that far off from a 5D. In um, I mean at at ISO 400. Right. So that's that that's the that's the catch, right? So right. when I'm looking at when I was thinking about all this, you know, I was thinking, well, okay, so, how, you know, would I be able to use this for, for work? Mm-hmm. And that's where things get dicey is because with, uh, you know, I mean, it's a small sensor. Yeah. So, you know, in, in great light, it does an, an amazing job. does just as good as anything else does. Um, but as soon as you're in, in less light, then, you know, you're running out of options. And you know, like it has a, it has a, quite a lot of lenses that are optional for that system. Um, you know, not only you know the Olympus lenses, but also third-party lenses. But still, it's not it's not the lenses that that I feel comfortable and trust trusting in to do the jobs that I do. Right. So yeah, so I mean that that's where I kind of came to this is just realizing like, oh well, you know, if you want to do these things, then you have to have those tools. So I think that, you know, like in my, I'm, I'm, you know, considering my dream vacation where I'm going to, you know, rent an RV with my family and, and take off for a month, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just tour the States. And, you know, if, if I do that, I'll probably just rent this camera, yeah, you know, and, and take, take my, you know, my Mammy and, and some, and maybe my FM3A. I want to play with this now that I'm looking at it. Is there a lens, like, can you put a pancake on here and stick it in your pocket? It's, it's probably still too big for that, right? I, think I mean, it, jean no, pocket, it's sure, but like jacket pocket. Oh, it's so small, Tyler. Really? It mm-hmm. is so small. Like when you compare it to, I, I was looking at my brother just bought one. Mm-hmm. And so he was here last weekend and we were, and I was, I grabbed the DF just to see, you know, cause the DF is half of the size as the D 800. Okay. And so then I looked at the, the EM five next to the DF and it was like less than half of the size. Wow. It's huh. small. It's um, like, gonna look at that in the store and the lenses are tiny and they weigh nothing yeah and it feels great in your hand <laughs> i think um, the the one thing that that um that that would probably trip me up um is the electronic viewfinder mm-hmm. i'm just not used to it well what, what i'm almost imagining this as a replacement for is that our g7x do i talk about that camera here much um We've been using it quite a bit lately. It's You've the, mentioned it. Yeah, we bought it to do video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does really amazing 1080 video for a point-and-shoot camera. Yeah. That, that's why we got it. That's why but everybody got it. Yeah, but it's 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 been a very versatile point-and-shoot. Basically, we've been using it for Instagram whenever the light is mediocre. When we're like, you know what? like An iPhone might be able to handle this, but we just want it to be better. Um, we'll use the G7X. We have it with us pretty often. And while we were uh, at Coachella, the lens we got a lens error, and the specific error I googled it, and immediately everybody's like, "Oh, that's dust!" And we were in the middle of this dust storm in the desert. <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, great. So it's broken. Is that what, we, what you're telling me?" Uh, the error cleared, but it has come back since once, and I'm um, I'm starting to count down the count the days before it explodes. So, so now you're curious about what the next. Well, I am now that you say this is as good as it is. 
Well, yeah, and another thing I'm really curious about is that, you know, like I've been, I've mentioned to you, I don't know if I've mentioned it here, mm-hmm. um, but I I think that time lapse is pretty cool, you know, like yeah. it can be cool. I've never really been good at it, but part of the, the struggle is that doing it on my D800 is just, it's not fun, you know, because it's just such a clunker. Mm-hmm. And um, that camera does time lapse in 4K. And, you know, like, I'm really curious to see the results of that because, right, right. you know, and mostly just because, oh, hey, you know what? Like, in terms of support systems for that thing, you know, I could get like, you know, a, a, a dolly or, you know, like a, a rail for that thing for a lot less because it's the amount of weight on it's it super lightweight. is nothing. Yeah. And so, you know, you can literally, you know, you can go with a much cheaper system well, and the, not be burdened. The other side of what I love about cameras like this. Um, and I, I mentioned to you previously that the GH4 is a version of this in the video world. A lot of people will buy it as their 4k camera because it has incredible sharpness um, and just great image quality for a fraction of the price of the Sony's. Um, and it is a micro four thirds. Wait, is it, am I right about that? I, right. Let me make sure I'm right about that. Um, I know that, it is, yes. Yeah, GH4 is micro four-thirds. Um, I was going to say, I know that it's a smaller sensor, and that's why it's, it's a much smaller sensor. So uh, another thing that people complain about that buy it often is like, oh, you can't get as much shallow depth of field. And to me, thinking of uh, secondary bodies, that can be a huge advantage. There's a lot of times that I'm just frustrated by full frame because I need way more depth of field than I can get. I need to, I need, you know, like uh, tabletops. That's a Mm -hmm. great example. If you're shooting straight down and anything is elevated on the table and you just, you just want the whole table in focus. Um, and this comes into play a lot of the time when like, if I need to do it, what becomes an Instagram photo of like a lay down and I'm using a full frame camera instead of an iPhone, an iPhone is so easy to get everything in focus because it's always all in focus, but it's so much harder to do it with a 5D. Um, even at f4, anything that is a few inches off the ground can be completely out of focus. Yeah. So um, things like any of these micro four thirds cameras can have a really huge advantage as a part of a larger system when the concern is not to get anything blurry. It's like it's more about capturing everything that's there and not being concerned about what your settings are at. Um, so uh, honestly, like I, I can really look at that as a, an advantage sometimes, but then the, the downside with the GH4 that I'm talking about as well as the uh, high ISO problems. Um, you know, I, I think it's like 400 is where people like to use it. And as you go past that, it, it falls apart a bit. So um, that's a, a, a bit of the downside. Yeah. So I'm just looking at the, some of the data on this camera, the, the sorry, Panasonic M- or the M5? the M5, mm-hmm. and apparently for the uh, the forty megapixel high res shoot mode. Mm-hmm. So the forty megapixels, if you shoot in JPEG, and then you can choose to either shoot the typical sixteen megapixel RAW, or you can do a sixty four megapixel RAW. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how does that work with? A- person like if you have a human in the shop you couldn't no you it won't work for that okay. that's not what it's meant it for. has to be like a landscape or nothing yeah exactly else. i mean you wouldn't and also the other the other part of that is if if you know if you're doing like a long exposure it's going to do some weird stuff um yeah and some of that stuff is actually you know if you learn to 
to use it to your advantage can be pretty damn awesome, actually. Mm. I've seen a couple shots that this one guy that I know that has that uses the system, and there was some things happening in the clouds that were, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the wrong hands, it would be a disaster. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you work it carefully enough, yeah. But if you're, you know, if you know what you're doing and you know what to expect, like, wow, it's mm. pretty striking stuff. I mean, I can also see it going the way of gimmick in a heartbeat. Yeah. As with so many things. As with so many things. But like, you know, the idea of, of carrying around, I mean, think if you were like, you know, if you were trying to restep all the steps of Ansel Adams or something, which nobody should do, by the way, <laughs> nobody should ever do that. But, you know, let's just say, you know, what he had to do, you know, is have a pack mule and, and go on a, on a vacation basically to go take photos. And you could carry this system, you know, very comfortably without even really being a bother at mm-hmm. all with a tripod. You know, you could get one of those me photo tripods for nothing that, that are way also nothing. You have one of those, right? I do. And yeah, I mean, it's, I, I like it cause it's, you know, it's, it's not the, the strongest thing in the world, but it has never let me down. Um, I haven't broken it yet. And, you know, I, I almost never feel like I can complain about it. You know, it's not a big, lunky, heavy thing. And it's fast. It's fast to use. Um, Sounds great. Yeah. And so, you know, you think about all of those things. And if you were a landscape shooter and you could get 64 megapixels from from this, you know, I mean, obviously you wouldn't need to do it all the time. You just do it when when the shot is the right shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the rest of the time, you know, you just do what you do normally. 16 megapixels is usually more than enough. Right. But man, if you could, you know, if you were into making, you know, massive prints at high quality, that'd be really, that's something really interesting when you're considering it, the weight and all, and the expense too. There, there's cameras are cheap, mm-hmm. relatively, comparatively. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't really do that. <laughs> so I don't need it, but I'm so fascinated by it. Yeah, I, I think about it with the Sony. Um, I haven't really run into it yet because I only have the 28 that is a native lens, and other than that, I'm still using Canon glass for it, so I'm still lugging around full-size lenses. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm of, just I'm thinking about the retired me. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think about it too. I think about, like, you know, if, if I slowed down and was only shooting for myself, it'd be really nice to carry something this size all the time, mm-hmm. but... But yeah, I mean, uh, the Sony, I've, I've really been sticking to it only being a a um, video camera lately. I haven't been taking any stills on it intentionally. So, Yeah, I, I wish I could give you some more updates of what I th- what I think of files that I've been seeing mm-hmm. from, from that camera. But I, I haven't, I haven't, no, I haven't no. been seeing as many lately. Well, I, I'm still happy with the files. I mean... Oh, they look great to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ones that you showed me. Oh, yeah. You showed me comparisons between Sony and Canon, and and I liked the Sony's better. And Did I was we surprised. talk about that on? I don't even know what we talked. Let's just talk about it again. But yeah, <laughs> the the sharpness in those, especially that's what jumps that out. Real. It was bizarre. I was very surprised. The mm-hmm. I'll just um, the, the shoot it was for. Unfortunately, I like was is for a client. I can't post the the photos to the show notes you're not going to see them you're just gonna have to we're going to recreate it for you you have to trust us yeah uh but i just zoomed in on the hair and they're both shot with 50 mil sigma and it looked it made the 5d mark three look out of like blurry like i missed focus and i didn't i know that it was sharp and i was at f8 
Um, it was not a lens thing. The lens was right on and I had many comparison shots on either side to compare to. And yeah, the hair is just perfectly crisp on the Sony and soft. And And I was, I was really surprised. I mean, you know, how I've been pretty vocal. Yeah. And that's downsizing the Sony. Right. Right. So they're the same, uh, same megapixels, which is how you should compare it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like you could still, it's enough that you could see it at, yet a, a reasonably large print like you it's you know disappear on a cell phone but um look at this image relatively large and you can see the sharpness difference i think it's it's real so yeah it's pretty impressive yeah 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 but uh still the the biggest reason is this damn uh write speed it's so slow i can't wait for it to write photos i'm going to talk to jordan again and go in and test some different memory cards and see if that's the problem Oh, I have another thing to talk about. <laughs> okay. Uh, right tool for the job. Uh, I'll, I'll try to make it apply to the, the topic, but uh, we, we got a drone. Oh, cool. Yeah, we got a Phantom 4 just um, just the other day. Jealous. Yeah, it, was, uh, it is incredible technology. I can't believe what that thing can do. It's, I mean, it really, it really feels like the robot revolution is right around the corner. This, it's, it's just so smart. Like, the, the most interesting thing is li- taking a little lift off and having it hover in front of you and it won't, it won't fly at you. I, I did this and you probably shouldn't, but I pressed the forward button to say like, okay, keep coming at me, keep coming, uh, you know, try and kill me. And it, uh, <laughs> it just, it just stops in its tracks cause it's sensing everything in front of it and saying, you know, I, yeah, I won't go more than like two meters ahead or I won't kill my master. Um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It was smart of uh, really cool and then we were testing uh like we went out into the to, into the country and we're doing um the auto tracking it does so on your phone you just select what you want it to track so we uh hopped in the car uh with remote control and selected the car and it just starts following us and stays with the car and is uh, you can you can have it kind of circle it a bit and um yeah it's crazy or you're running it just tracks you as you run it's amazing and um for the um, if, how long these have been out it's incredible how far they've come yeah that sounds impressive yeah and the image quality also is very good it's, it's similar to a gopro um so that's to say a, maybe a little better than an iphone a little more dynamic range and uh the video was very sharp a little a little too sharp, like it, it was over sharpened compared to the Sony and I needed to bring it back to make it match. Uh, okay. Um, but the, the biggest issue really is still flying it. There are not a lot of places you're allowed to fly it. So I don't know. I've been trying to, trying to figure that out where I'm really allowed to. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, just playing with it, but it's, it's fun. Yeah. I entered a, uh, when I was in Austin, I entered a competition to win one, mm-hmm. you know, at the booth at the technology booth at South by Southwest. And uh, it was really funny because I was my travel companion was just like, do you want one of those? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I would take one mm-hmm. if it was given to me. I think it'd be neat, but I'd never get to use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. I have this feeling that they're going to be outlawed before I get to do anything interesting with it. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to use it much in uh, where I live because I'm just outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah, so I, 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 don't think, I don't think you can use it much anywhere you live. So Yeah. But you know what would be really cool, and and my friend Jen has used it for this, is that you know you could if you were doing you know like stock shoots, 
and uh, you know you could get great overheads of things. You know, just like if you were going to shoot it in like a backyard party or barbecue party or something like that, you could get some interesting dynamic shots that you otherwise would never be able to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're doing. Is a- it worth all the money to buy? That? I'm not sure. <laughs> we're doing a road trip coming up and uh, along the the uh, coast of Canada, and I'm hoping. Yeah. So when you when you got into that. nature, you know. Yeah. Those those places that are left. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. That that was. That was exciting. Uh, it, it's been it's been a while, so I guess there's a lot of little things to catch up on. Oh yeah, for sure. So, do you have a, an exciting, unrelated thing to talk about today? Oh, geez, what have I been getting into lately? If you I don't have one ready, I, I have, uh, have one ready. I can no, go ahead because I don't. I haven't. I didn't. I forgot all about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I. Oh God, I don't remember anything that we've talked about on the show. I should have re-listened to every previous episode before uh, beginning, and and yeah. so should you, listeners, and remind me what I've recommended before. But I finally found just enough time to play a bit of a video game, mm-hmm. and I was playing Firewatch. Have you heard of it? No. It's great. It's um, it's very short too, so you can I you can totally play it as a busy photographer working too much. Um, I think in total, by the time I'm done, it'll be like four or five hours. And it, it reminds me of Portal in a lot of ways without the crazy gameplay. So gameplay is very simple. It's not, it's not so much the point of this. It's, it's very much like a narrative game where you're a uh, forest ranger. No, that's too much. You are <laughs> on, you're on Firewatch in a forest. So all your, all your job is to do is to stand in a tower and watch for fires and you've Make got sure nothing burns. Exactly. And you've got a radio and someone on the other side and, uh, you and that radio just wander around the forest and develop a really well-told narrative. It's, it's basically, um, just a very good story with fantastic voice acting and a uh, great script. And it, it just feels real and it feels like movie caliber, which is very uncommon for games. Um, that's part of what I think is the best thing about portable is that it, it feels like movie script writing and in cinematic often when used in the context of games, a cinematic game usually means that it's really dramatic, like, you know, great visual effects and swooping camera angles. And it looks like a movie trailer, uh, big explosions. And, and that's great. I mean, I, I like those games too, but, there are very few that tell the story as well as films do that is still underdeveloped in video games. And, um, this gets, this is movie quality to me. I mean, it's, it's great. It's a small, simple story in a short game and it's relatively cheap. You can get it on steam. Um, yeah. So firewatch, it was, it was awesome. I'm not done yet. Actually. I'm still a couple hours away. We're uh, about probably one hour away. I'd guess. (laughs) Do you burn? Uh, I don't know yet. You're going to have to play to find out. (laughs) Awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, my thing is usually what it always is. I only do photography and music. That's fine. What else do you need? Yeah, exactly. Outside of raising a child and playing video games, which I'm, I'm still playing, uh, that star Wars game. Oh, well I saw that it was on, I saw it on sale the other day somewhere. So I I was like, maybe I should get into it when it's a little older and cheaper. I think it's fun. You know? I, and, yeah, yeah, I think I will. I, you know, no, I, I won't have time. What am I talking about? I'll never play. No, it's one of those games where you can play it for a half an hour and, and we'll see. stop. 
Because it's not an adventure. You yeah. Know? It's, it's, it's like a... Sh- There's no story. Yeah. yeah, you just battle other people. Oh, wait. Okay, can I throw in like a 10-second recommendation I just listened to on the way over? is It's called um, Star Wars... Uh, no, Star Wars Minute. And it is every episode, which are about 20 minutes long, is talking about one minute at a time of every Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, you have to be a pretty big Star Wars nerd to enjoy that or find that at all appealing, but I got uh, I'm getting a kick out of it. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> it is a trap. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, so my thing is, um, it's kind of un- unexpected because I didn't, uh, you know, when you love something for a very long time with music or art or, yeah, mostly music. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, you can be into somebody for a long time and then they, they veer off into different directions and you become less into them. And Right. You know, then, We've all been there. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of just feel like, okay, well, that's over. So what I'm talking about is uh, the, the newest Iggy Pop record. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I didn't think that's what you were going to say, but... Yeah, so it's, it's really... It caught me by surprise because I hadn't really cared about Iggy Pop for quite a while. You know, like I, I love the Stooges and... You know, I love the idiot and lust for life. Like those albums are great, and there's there's a couple other tunes on some of the other records that that I'm familiar with that I think are cool, but I never really jumped into them. And the other thing was is that I never liked him in real time. I was always like way late to the party. There's a delay. Like, yeah, because I was always like looking back and going, "Oh, this is cool. Like I can see why this influenced so many people." Right. So when I first heard of this record, which is not new anymore, it's like six months older, maybe, no, maybe four months old, and it's called Post-Pop Depression. And when I first heard of it, like, I think it was Pitchfork or somebody did it, and we're talking about it, and what they were saying is that the Iggy and, and Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age were Perfect making, combination of people. Yeah. Well, at the time, because Queens of the Stone Age has now become that band for me, where like I'm no longer like following them very closely, because I'm like, eh. Yeah. Your your best days are behind me. Yeah, I still play the old <laughs> albums really often, and I yeah. don't listen to the new stuff. Right. And it just doesn't have the same, you know, thing. Yeah. And we that could be a, a conversation in and of itself. But So, when I heard that, that these guys were making a record, I, I kind of got that Dave Grohl feel, you know, the worry about it. Just like how something's going to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Just because Josh is involved, and like I should have more faith in Josh because he's done me a lot of good. Absolutely. And then I heard the record, and I was just like, "Wow, this is actually really intriguing." Even though it sounds like Iggy of the Stone Age, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds awesome. I mean, if you just it's you just did a DJ mashup, that could be great. I'm telling you, if you like Queens of the Stone Age and you like Iggy Pop, this record is. So I, I have been listening to that record and it is so good. Um, yeah, every song, yeah. right? Um, I mean, well, I I kind of got stuck on the first few songs and then I've been re-listening to them. Um, and oh, wow. and there's an awesome. Uh, have you listened to the podcast Song Exploder yet? No. They take a song and explode it and like listen to all the like original tracks, like break it down with the artist and have them talk about like when we laid down this guitar track, it meant this blah blah blah. And uh, yeah, they talk to Josh and Iggy and interview them about uh, American Valhalla. Oh, the, the, yeah. And it's really interesting. Like they just go so deep into how they wrote and recorded it. And it was, yeah, I, it, it is a great album. I'm totally behind you. And you, you saw him, right? Like, am, am I spoiling? Yeah. So that was the, too? that was the next, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the next part is that, um, I was jealous that, you know, I was, I was just telling one of my, you know, like I have 
you know, you know, you have you have your 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 drinking buddy, you got your your music friend, you got your photography friend, or whatever, <laughs> right? So I was talking to my 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 music friend, and um, and I was just saying, like, man, I was just really surprised by how how much I was enjoying it. You know, just like wanting to listen to it like on a daily basis, which is rare for me. Mm-hmm. It's really, really rare. I get usually can't I get overexposed, and I'm like, no, it's too much, too soon. Um, and and he was like, oh, well, do you want to go? <laughs> I was like, go to what? And he's like, to see Iggy Pop. And I was like, yeah, when's he coming to town? And he's like, he's not. He's coming to New York. <laughs> it's on a Monday. <laughs> no, it was on a Tuesday. Even worse. And I was just like, um, wow, really? <laughs> and, you know, then I found out that, uh, that Josh and the other guys were playing with him, supporting the tour. Yeah, that's great. Which I thought was also really great because Josh's Eagles of Death Metal was also on tour. And he chose to go with Iggy, and I was like, "Oh, sh-, you know, okay, I need to figure out how to." Get and this is going to this isn't going to happen a, a lot more. I'm sure Iggy's only got so many tours left in him. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, ha- man, I tell you, like that was one of the most enjoyable shows that I've seen in a very long. That's time. That's great. He's he's still stage dives. <laughs> <laughs> he he did it like six times. Yeah. Well, he's light as a feather. I mean, they can just toss him around. Just so 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 good. So if you if you like excellent music, I'm not going to define that any any further than that because I hate genre talk. Then check out this record. Cool. Um, did you see the teaser for Train Spotting Two? I've only heard about. It. I haven't it's, seen it. I, isn't that strange? Is it just me or is that really weird? Um, I guess it just I it, it just depends. I mean, I think that in general, I, I usually squirm a bit whenever i hear about a sequel yeah well and of all the um, movies to sequel that was not one that felt like it needed it yeah it kind of didn't seem like that there was going to be a possibility for a sequel yeah. you know it's just like yeah. is this going to be like the afterlife or something yeah. or like, um but at the same no. time um i don't know like they've that the first movie was very good and everybody involved in that is still there and uh, uh danny boyle um mm-hmm. is directing again and has done good work since and it sort of should be good uh so i don't know i'm, I, I, so, I'm most of all wondering what the soundtrack's gonna be <laughs> that's right right uh, how do you follow is that is it gonna up? take us back to the 90s or yeah uh there was a and it also reminded me that there was a um article in the coachella magazine about like if you were to rescore the train spotting now who would replace each track and uh mm. that was kind of fun so um, yeah, it got me thinking about it, but uh, yeah, I'm ex- I'm kind of excited about it just because it was so significant at the time culturally, and, and we'll see if they can do anything interesting now. I don't know. Yeah, it, it freaked me out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, sc- scared straight. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> straightish. <laughs> yeah.